Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't have a job to find. And if I work tonight, I'm so tired. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Powerslam podcast here on Inside the Ropes, uh, or Patreon if you're getting this uh, a day early. My name is Kenny and I'm joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin. And Finn, we are recording this on Wednesday, so before Dynamite, so if anything big has happened on the show, we'll be covering that in the overrun. But how are you today? Is it sunny where you are? It's a bit overcast, oh, you know, wow. autumn's closing in, Kenny. It's- I know, it's... It's the last day of August today, August 31st, so September tomorrow. I always figure that that's autumn, September. Yeah, especially by mid-September. You know, you, you get those last strags of, the, of of proper sunshine at the beginning of September if you're lucky. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, you know, we've had so much doom and gloom from the peddlers of mir- misery in our media telling us how... how Desperate, this winter's going to be. It feels like winter's been here for about six or seven weeks. <laughs> I know it's uh, it's grim. I hope that those of you listening are not going to be hit too bad by the the energy crisis, but uh, unfortunately, probably will. But hopefully, something will come of it when they can decide who the prime minister is. But well, not many more days to go now. And I was just more more <laughs> talking about Kenny, the the peddlers of misery in our media. That's what's grim. Okay, we've probably got grim things to come as well, but they haven't arrived yet. 
So you will stop bringing us down before it's got really bad. That's my point. Oh, yeah, no, that is true. I mean, what happened to the days where in the news you would find, you know, Bill from Dundee who made the biggest cucumber in recorded history? That's what we <laughs> want to hear about. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> we're, we're, so, we're just going to talk about a bunch of news today, a bunch of stuff. I thought we'd kick it off, actually, because we mentioned it. You mentioned it a little bit on the uh, What's Going Down podcast. You know, you were at SummerSlam '92 back in the day, which was thirty days, thirty years ago this week. Um, and at this point, because Superstars of Wrestling had it, it was just starting, right? Or had it just started? What was the? I think we're about nine issues in. Nine issues point. in. Yeah. Okay. So what was? I mean, what was it like to to? Because I mean, people always hear the hyperbole about SummerSlam '92, and it's this huge show. What was it like in '92? Was it as big as people? talk about it it was the people underplay it what are your memories of it well it, it was big in terms of it was mainstream and the newspapers had because uh, obviously newspapers were much bigger then than they are now um you know particularly the red tops i mean the newspapers had really embraced pro wrestling they'd worked out that this was huge and the, their readership was interested in these stories so it felt big because the mainstream press was covering it. Now, in a sense, it could you could actually argue it's bigger now because mainstream media websites who wouldn't have breathed, they wouldn't have touched pro wrestling with a badge pole in 1992, <laughs> they cover it now and they actually they don't mock it. I mean, back then it was just all ridicule. That was you know that was the tenor of the mainstream media's coverage of pro wrestling. It's very different now. It's um it's it's you know it's been accepted really by the mainstream media as um a, a legitimate form of entertainment shall we say but there again you know you can put some of the blame for that on pro wrestling because we still had kayfabe so if you were going to do an interview with davy boy smith or bret hart or whomever or you know jim duggan or ultimate warrior i remember that famous picture kenny you probably remember this one from superstars of wrestling or from various outlets at the time they sent the Warrior and Duggan, and I think it was Davy Boy over. Yes. Publicized, and they were pictured inside Wembley Stadium. And one of them, I think it was Duggan, was wearing a WBF t shirt. <laughs> yep, I remember that photo. That, appeared, that definitely appeared in Superstars Wrestling, that photo. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the time, if you were going to do an interview with one of those people, they would be asked the, the stalker question, oh, is this, is this real or what? And then because it was 1992, the wrestlers would have to lie and say, yes, it is. So that always created a barrier between the mainstream media and pro wrestling. And it just invited scorn to be poured on pro wrestling. But yeah, it was definitely huge back then. Lots of people were talking about it. Um, but it was a very different fan base because most of um, the WWF or wrestling, American wrestling fan base in the UK at the time had really only, really only discovered pro wrestling maybe about, you know, like that year or maybe a year earlier or maybe 1990. You know, if you've been watching since 89 or 88, when I first discovered American wrestling proper, you were a veteran fan. Mm -hmm. But also as well, people didn't really know as much about pro wrestling then as they do now. There's, there's, there's so much more access to information. And I think fans now have got a deeper understanding and knowledge of the business, partly because wrestling's been around so long, but past, partly because access to that information is so much easier. So it was a very different fan base. It was a lot easier back then. You know, people went along and they were just thrilled to see The Undertaker. 
um, driven to the ring on the back of a hearse for his match with Kamala. Didn't really matter that the match was dismal because <laughs> they got to see The Undertaker in a hearse. And it was, I think people were more easily impressed back then because they weren't really as savvy about pro wrestling as they are now. So it was a very different time. Um, also as well, and I've talked about this before, it was very weird because we didn't know how long it was going to last. You know, was this going to be another New Kids on the Block or another BMX? Or, you know, what was the first craze that you remember as a kid? Obviously, you BMX was long gone before you were even born. I would it? say the big the big craze I remember that wasn't wrestling was probably Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, yeah. That was another one. That was very fleeting. I remember that one because the original publisher of Superstars of Wrestling did a magazine on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, I think the cartoon was called, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the, the cartoon was huge for like a short period of time. And yeah, then just... and then there was the, the movie and there was the, the, the hit record, wasn't there? Yeah. One. And, uh, you know, it was this thing that was like burned really brightly and then just you know, fizzled and just went. So a lot of us, and certainly me, because I was running the magazine at the time, and this was my livelihood, I was really concerned about this whole thing just collapsing and just disappearing and people just not watching anymore, moving on to the next fad. But happily, pro wrestling, WWF, WWE, American wrestling in general did stand the test of time. Although obviously things dropped off in 93, 94, Certainly, night five, night six, and didn't really come back until night seven over here. Yeah, well, I mean, because the, the other thing that's funny is you're just from some of the stuff you were saying there about you know there wasn't a podcast like this where people could hear you, or I mean, there and there, I mean, superstars of wrestling has started, but in the UK, you know, Power Slam hadn't become the big power so it was going to be, so it was a very different time. But I did want to ask you about because obviously in America the Hogan thing had basically died; it was yeah. it was it was gone. Do you think? Well, he was hibernating at the time, wasn't he? In '92. Yeah, he's hibernating, and then he and then he did that stupid bit in his book where he said that he, you know, met the kid at Wembley Stadium, and he wrote, <laughs> and they wrote. Well, he wrote in a commas the song about it, Hulkster in Heaven, or whatever, which just made no sense. But um, so the Hogan thing was basically all all but dead. How if 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 WWF had come to to do SummerSlam in '92? How much of a big part of the success of that show was the British Bulldog? Oh, he, he was he was huge. I mean, I remember but if he wasn't there, would would it would it have been would it have meant as much? Well, no, it wouldn't have done. I think it still would have sold out because it sold out so quickly. I think it actually sold out before any of the, any of the matches were announced. I believe mm-hmm. and it's, it sold out very quickly. Was it was it a matter of hours or was it a few days? I'm not sure. I mean, everything was exaggerated back then, but it was a very quick sellout anyway. Uh-huh. And I'm not sure if if Smith versus Hart had been announced when tickets went on sale. But I mean, I think it still would have obviously still would have been a huge success, but it wouldn't have been remembered as as fond. They wouldn't have received the acclaim that it did. It wouldn't be discussed with such reverence like we're doing now. Um, had British Bulldog David Boy Smith versus Bret Hart not been the main event and Smith had won the belt. So, I mean, that was that was the key to, to its to its long lasting impact and it being remembered as this um, huge milestone in WWF history. 
I mean, it was really more about the pop, wasn't it? It was the match and the pop and the atmosphere and, you know, just the the memory of Davey winning that belt. You know, the 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 proper... I mean, one thing about Davey Boy Smith, he had this real regular guy appeal that I'm not sure if anyone has ever managed to mimic over here. I mean, Drew comes across as a regular guy, but Davey, there's just something about it there was something about him that was very, very likable. He came across as, obviously, he was a working class guy who'd done good and gone abroad and done well in Canada and then Japan and then become a huge star in his first go around the British Bulldog tag teams from 84 to 88 in WWF. You know, then gone back to Canada, done the old Japan thing, then worked out that WWF was taking off in the UK due to his presence on Sky, so he re-signed as a singles player in 1990, which was very, you know, sage of him. You know, mm-hmm. very, very smart. He knew that his part, uh, his partner, Dynamite Kid, was falling apart. You know, he didn't want to team with him anymore because they didn't get on in real life. But he saw the writing on the wall with that team that it had peaked years earlier, and there was a huge opportunity for him to become a, a major singles player in WWF, which obviously is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a huge part of all of it. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was obviously the highlight of his career. I mean, in many, I'm not saying it was the highlight of Bret Hart's career, but it wasn't far off. I mean, he obviously had better matches than that. Um, but I mean, I don't think he ever, he never wrestled in front of a larger crowd. I don't think, I don't think the Vince match was held in front of a larger crowd. <laughs> no, and the the the, the kayfabe that the WrestleMania three crowd was larger, but we know that the real number was smaller. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, even Brett, you know, is <laughs> you know when it comes to marking your own homework. I mean, Brett, 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 and Chris Jericho are running neck and neck, aren't they? You know, for best of all time in pro wrestling for that, for giving themselves A stars for what was actually a D or a, or a, or a big F. Um, but I mean, there's surely no way that Brett can look back on the match with Vince in 2010 and, and look at it and say, yeah, that was that was a good piece of business. You know, I really, I really earned my money that night. Whereas the Brett, uh, the British Bulldog match is match with David Boy Smith. I mean, that was one of the finest performances of his career. I mean, yeah. even people who don't, really like Brett Howard after admitting that that was a hell of a match and Brett was integral to the success of it because Davey had gone into the match in such poor shape physically and for other reasons as well which we don't want to go into now because you know we've got our nostalgia goggles on Kenny and we don't want to we don't want to talk about all those things that we don't want to talk about when we're reminiscing about how wonderful things used to be. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you, so you're at SummerSlam 92. Obviously, it was, you know, one of the biggest pops ever when he won the yeah. belt. But, I mean, I'm curious about, because I remember I was, I was at this, this is a different scenario, but I'm going to make a correlation here that works for me. So I remember when ICW were getting bigger in 2015, 2016, or 2014, yeah. 2015, and they did the show at the SCCC where Gradle beat Drew for the title and yes. Mick Foley was the commissioner or whatever. And then they announced the Hydro show the next year. And I remember my brain going, unless they get new names or unless they somehow get a big name, I don't see how they're going to be able to keep growing or keep this level of interest. And yeah. obviously, you know, they seem to be. So 
when Bulldog, you know, won the, won the title of SummerSlam '92, did 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 you, the people in the industry, think that Bulldog was going to be a long term thing? Did it feel like you know this is probably the pinnacle of what this is going to be? What was the the kind of the vibe at the time? I don't know, really. I don't think people at that point in time, certainly most fans, were just wrapped up in the moment and just thought it was wonderful and like this most amazing moment for them as fans, which it obviously was for Mm -hmm. for British fans at the time. Um, It was clear to me that he wasn't ever going to be able to top it. I never really saw Davey as a WWF heavyweight champion. I mean... Had he not been fired a couple of months later, I mean, it's possible that they might have given him a reign the following year. Um, you know, just a short reign, almost like the the Sting and Vader thing on the Real Event Tour in '93 when Sting became WCW World Champion for was it six or seven days or whatever it was. He won the belt from Vader and then he dropped it back to Vader on the last night of the tour, which I've got to say actually was brilliant, a brilliant strategy from WCW which they completely failed to capitalize on. How WCW was that? So they did this amazing thing, and then they just did not exploit it at all for this amazing tour, this giving fans this title change, and people couldn't believe their eyes, and then WCW just didn't build on it at all. Just classic WCW, really. But yeah, for Davey, it was, I think it was fairly obvious that this was, this was going to be the zenith of his career that he was never gonna exceed this moment i think right after brett had dropped the belt to davy i think there was already there was talk within days uh that hart's performance had been so amazing that the next step for him was to become wwf heavyweight champion obviously flair became champion for a second time a few days later he beat savage near the tv taping yeah and then Heartbeat, uh, Flair, Heartbeat, <laughs> Heart Defeated. <laughs> Talking about that TV show. Heart Defeated, Flair, I think it was October 12th. Yeah, in Sas- Sas- Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is not something easy That's to where do. Brock Lesnar's got the farm, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe the Brett match really moved him. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but I think most people saw Brett as a future heavyweight champion, so I think a lot of people... Thought even though Hart lost the belt, in some ways he was the real winner of that match because it was clear that, you know, he carried it, he talked Davey through it, you know, he'd done the right thing, you know, he put Smith over. And we all know that in pro wrestling, if you do it right, you know, look at Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. Seth lost all three of their premium live event matches and he's as big a star as he was possibly a bigger star than he was before that program began. We all know that if you have a hell of a match and it's it's laid out properly and the loser loses the right way, then he or she can come out with more momentum than they went into the match with. And that was absolutely the case for Brett. So, I mean, yeah, it was one of those matches in which there was no losers. And, um, you know, it was real... It was sad what happened to Davey because this was just this amazing moment. And then he found out very soon afterwards that he was going to lose the belt to Shawn Michaels. And I think he felt really betrayed by that. Um, and I'm, But then I'm again, I guess part of it is that, you know, 
he, I mean, I know Brett obviously is, Brett is the first person to his own horn, right? We know this. But I mean, you know, because I just did the star casting with him uh, last month and we sat and basically dissected the build up to the match, the match itself and all that stuff. And, you know, Davy Boy was was in no condition that whole summer. You know, he no. was he was injured. Um, they'd done the kind of run through TV match at TV taping, and Davy got injured there because he didn't land the way he was supposed to land on something properly. And then he turned up at the show, and and you know, there's that famous line that when Brett does the accent, I'm fucked. You know, that's the the line. So it's weird that you know, with with Bulldog, I mean, he was in this amazing position. And it's almost like in some ways he kind of sabotaged himself. Yeah, I think he. I think that's fair to say. I mean, you know, the guy. Well, no, just said we weren't going to talk about what he was doing. We're being respectful about. We're not. We're not. You know, putting the boot in. Or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was. You know, people. He was partaking in in substances that a top athlete should not indulge in before a big match. I think that's a that's a yeah. polite way of putting it, isn't it? Benny? Very polite. <laughs> um, but a bit of, and we're not talking about Domino's pepperoni pizzas here. No, no, we're not. But you, see, you know, it's funny because there's a guy I I, I want. There's some uh, somebody who I follow on Twitter actually who I want to I want to give his handle actually because he's he's one of my favourite Twitter for because he, he calls himself Ian Drew Dice Clay. Oh um, yes, I know. I know who you mean. Yep. Yeah, and his handle is Ian Drew the Giant, I-A-N. And he's a British guy, and he posts a lot of British stuff. I'm sure you've seen some of it, Finn. Yeah. And, um, and he'll post things like, you know, the British Bulldog Burger King advert from 1993 or the, uh, you know, the Daily Mirror ad or whatever, all this stuff that, you know. Was yeah, yeah, he posted one. Didn't he post one this week? Uh, a scratch card. Yes. On Facebook, I think it was. Yeah, so, you know, all this stuff, and it's like, you know, the idea that Burger King were having the British Bulldog advertise for them is huge. So, but, I mean, so we so we get, that that's how big it is. Obviously, then Davey Boy ends up dropping the belt to Shawn Michaels in November. He goes, he goes to WCW. Um, a bit, in terms of WCW, though, they do the Tour 93, which I know you've been to, and you, you, you always talk about if it comes up, it's like PTSD of um, what could have been with WCW. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but WCW did that one tour and they never capitalised on it. And then when they got Brett in 97, it felt like, you know, a, a big UK show. or Because if they, if they did a big UK show in 98 and they had Bulldog and Brett on it, they could have done great business. I mean, was that yeah. a big missed opportunity, do you think, for WCW? Oh, yeah, of course it was. I mean... When did they come over? I know they came over. Was it the March two thousand or February? The famous March, or was it February two thousand tour? Yeah, it was February or March of two thousand because that was the tour that ended up on Watchdog. Yeah, that was the one. And by which point, Brett couldn't wrestle because he'd yeah. suffered the concussion. Um, Still flew over though. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He came over, and um, you know, he, he he was one of the most popular performers. Well, he wasn't performing popular figures on the show. He did a speech each night for the for the audience um and they were like huge crowds that wcw drew because it, the company hadn't been over for so many years um and the shows were just just diabolical that's the only word i can use to describe them and just like everyone was the whole company was just it's it was just out i mean the whole company was just a sh- utter shambles i think this was, this was after russo had quit then we had Kevin Sullivan and all these other people running the show, and none of them could be bothered. And it was just such a 
depressing time to be a WCW fan. And then we have the so-called dream team of of the Bish and, and Vinnie Rue. They took over in late March, I think it was. It was after the tour anyway. April 10th, 2000 was their first show. Yeah, that was the big relaunch. But I think they'd been appointed before that. And the big relaunch was, yeah, that was the big do, relaunch. Do me a favour, Finn. Pick a city between Birmingham, London and Manchester. Birmingham, London and Manchester. So just pick one for me. Anyone. Um... Well, ba- well, Bath, but that's not. Is that sort of in between? I guess. Oh no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, out of these, out of these three cities, Birmingham, oh, London, and Manchester. Sorry, um, Manchester, because I was at the Manchester show. Yeah, so this is what the card was for WCW's evening in Manchester, March twelfth, two thousand, where they drew sixteen thousand three hundred and eighteen people. I was one of them. Norman Smiley versus Brian Nobbs, The Wall versus David Flair. WCW TV champion Jim Duggan against Fit Finlay, Kurt Henning and Vampiro against Ric Flair and Lex Luger, Terry Funk against Dustin Rhodes, speech from Bret Hart, Booker T against WCW US champion Jeff Jarrett, and the main event of the show for the WCW tag team titles, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull against Ron and Don Hass. People were just flawed. Flawed that that was the main event. There was just silence. It was just silence there, and uh, and it was just such a nothing match. And I remember one of them, one of the, it could have been one of the Harris boys. I'm not sure. Basically, took the mic during the match and complain, and like complained that the audience weren't reacting. And like it was just like, why are you doing this? You know, why are you having to go at the paying customers? And it was the whole show was just kind of reminding me a bit of the famous. You know, Birmingham show in 96 mm-hmm. with the really short Sid Farouk main event. 49 was, seconds, I'm sure you wrote in Power Slam. Yeah, it so. was. I mean, that was. I remember as we walked out, people were just like, this company, you know, this was a great opportunity to, because WWF was just probably a, as lowest as it was it would ever get in, to, in the UK. That was a real low point for them. Mm-hmm. And he just needed to put on a really good show, and it was a massive failure. Um, I think actually Steve Austin faced um, Mankind. Was it Mankind? Um, uh, let me find. Oh, so oh, here's the, here's the card that here's the card for the Birmingham show: Executioner versus Barry Horowitz, The Stalker against Justin Hawk Bradshaw, Crush right. against Bob Holly, Rocky <sighs> Maivia against T. L. Hopper. Bret Hart versus Mankind, Steve Austin versus Aldo Montoya. That's right. Yeah, the future just incredible. That was it. Uh, Undertaker versus Vader, Owen and Davy against the Godwins, and Sid against Farouk. Yeah, I mean that's that's better than the WCW show, yeah. but that's also a really miserable lineup. Well, also the WCW tour for people who are listening to this, maybe if you're in the states. The tour advertisement, like all the posters and the tour, I think that you can actually buy the program sometimes it pops up on eBay. Was like Kevin Nash, Goldberg. Yep. Sting, I, Sting was Sting. definitely Sting was definitely listed, and I think he'd, I think he was actually on strike at the time. I think he, <laughs> I think he, if something like that, I think he just went home instead of just had enough. Yeah, I think he did come to the tour at the end of two thousand, but by then it's like who cares? Yeah. Um, it came up some TV tapings uh, later in the year, and they were better. I've got to say, they did slightly redeem themselves there. Um, I mean, the crowds were much smaller, and because it was TV, it had more energy, and it felt like it mattered. 
but those house shows were just just depressing to to witness, so disheartening, and just you know, as a paying customer, you just felt insulted by what was um, presented to you for your hard earned money. Um, but that you know, WCW just you know. You can listen to Eric Bischoff and all these other people talking about what went wrong with WCW. You can read the books. Um, and lots of people will come up with lots of different reasons for why WCW didn't make it. And a huge, it's very simple. There's a huge, huge reason was they just didn't respect their audience. It's just yeah. that simple. They just took them for granted so many times. And if you do that as a business, whatever your business is, particularly if it's an entertainment business, Eventually, their loyalty wanes. People just say, "I'm not tolerating this anymore." You know, you've you've done this once too often, and I'll I'll support and spend my money on something else. Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was because uh, I'm just trying to base this all on the UK stuff since it's clash this weekend. But so you know, we have SummerSlam '92. Then we have various UK tours. I mean, at one point in like '93, '94, they were coming over like four times a year. It was it was loads. Um, then they didn't. Uh, can I just, just, just chime in here? Sure. I remember at one point, what happened was it felt like WWF was exploiting its audience as well. And I think one time they ran, I think, two tours at once. Yeah. And they were running all sorts of venues and they were bringing like Steve Lombardi over and people like that. <laughs> at this point, as we know, in 93, they're when it came to genuine stars, you know, WWF. They did not have two tours worth. Yeah, they just did not have the star power to fill two consecutive tours running concurrently. And they were playing like Brighton and all these smaller um, cities or towns. And it just felt like they were trying to cash in and get all the money they could out of this market before it dried up. And I think that was the mentality. A lot of people felt like, mm, well, I'm a fan and, and I like going to see WWF, but if I'm going to spend, what would it be for a ticket then? 25, 30 quid, 25 something quid, like that? Yeah. yeah. If I'm going to, and plus all the, the sort of associated costs of getting there and getting home or what have you, I've got to feel like I'm getting something that's comparable to what I can watch for free on television each week. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously Raw was around then, so you were seeing more star versus star matches on TV. Um, and it did also feel like, you know, not quite to the extent of what WCW pulled in March 2000. I mean, that was truly a low point for American wrestling in this country. Um, but you did feel that WWF was guilty of that, of that same tactic of just not really providing value for money in a nutshell. Uh, well, you know, because then, you know, off the back of that, you know, they were coming, they came over in, two, in 96, but it was just two shows, you know, Birmingham and London. Then 97, they come over and they do one night only. It's a big show. It's part of storyline canon. And then, you know, they kind of build up Bulldog's big return. He's got the sister at ringside. He's supposed to retain the title. And then obviously Shawn Michaels' politics to beat him in Birmingham um, and the idea is it will lead to a rematch at Mayhem in Manchester or Sky Box Office, which ends up just becoming a house show. Um, I mean, how big did One Night Only feel when you were doing the mag? Did it feel like this was... I mean, obviously it didn't feel like SummerSlam 92, but did it feel like th- this is a big show that they're, they're giving the UK fans? Yeah, it did. It, it did feel like... I remember feeling very heartened by the quality of the show, the promotion of it. I mean, this was partly... 
<laughs> partly uh, due to Power Slam making a pro wrestling style comeback back from the dead. <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of that as well. That it just felt to me like, yeah, the magazine was gonna was gonna be all right and sales were going up. And I was feeling a lot more comfortable about wrestling in general in September 1997, certainly than I had the previous November when I went to um, you know, the show headline by Farouk versus Sid. Um, but yeah, it was on Sky Box Office. Sky really got behind it. I mean, I think it did decent numbers on Sky Box Office. I think Sky was really pleased with with the number of orders that it received. And obviously, this was a new phenomenon for us as UK fans because we were not used to paying extra for events, were we? No. It's like, you know, what's this? So like, well, we've got to pay extra for this show. And I think everyone all involved realized that in order for people to pay extra for this show, it would have to be a show that was worth paying for. You know, it's it's not rocket science, is it, Kenny? But mm-hmm. sometimes it feels like it is. Pro wrestling sometimes makes it seem like it is rocket science. Well, no, it isn't. It's actually really rather simple when it boils down to it. And um, yeah, that was a really good show. I remember going along. It just felt like there's real energy there that the audience, it was like, I'm not saying it was all new fans, but there were some new fans there. And it also felt like the longtime fans really had pride in the company again. And that's, it sort of felt like, you know, the longtime fans are, patience have been tested so many times by poor lineups and wishy-washy creative and it just felt like WWF knew what it was doing and knew where it was going again. And those big three matches, Vader versus Owen, Undertaker versus Brett, and then Sean versus British Bulldog, David Boy Smith. I mean, that was sort of, I'm not saying it was the best three, three best runner matches the company had ever presented on a pay-per-view because probably were better a better run of matches that the company I mean for instance the Canadian Stampede event mm-hmm. earlier that year that was probably better but this was still an amazing show and it just felt big time it felt like it mattered and it did um but also there's the there's the idea there's this kind of nice idea that it's a hybrid between you know you talk about longtime fans they still had a lot of these names that they had seen in the drearier days like Brett and Sean and Owen who were still around, and Undertaker, who were maybe there in 95 and had to go to Brighton or wherever, and now they're part of this resurgence where it's kind of coming up again with new people like Steve Austin and Mick Foley and whoever else. So, um, yeah. Last question I wanted to ask you and, was... And also, you know, the, I mean, we weren't really in the Attitude Era territory yet, but we, we were very close, and it was clear that a sea change, there was a sea change was about to occur mm-hmm. and that the product felt very different. So that was something something that I think really um, inspired fans as well to, to to be optimistic about where it was all going. And then just my last question, obviously we know that after one night only, they did do loads of shows in the UK, they did loads of house shows, they would uh, do you know more UK pay-per-views between 98 and 03. Were you surprised that they didn't do a big UK show between 98 and 03 that was you know more part of story and not just kind of the you know because we've reviewed the UK pay-per-views we've reviewed them all and you know they're all kind of they're fine but they don't really matter unless it's you know British Bulldog hitting Stephanie with a bin. Were you surprised they didn't do a kind of one night only level show again? Um, I mean, I suppose so, but 
you've got to remember the company was doing so well in the States, wasn't it? And this was another, this was part of the reason why WCW didn't really exploit the UK market when it was doing great business in 96, 97, 98. Because you just thought, well, why should we go over there and run a show in that country when we can run a show in Orlando or Daytona Beach or Charlotte, you know, or Atlanta and we'll sell out there? Why spend all that money to, to, and we're going to, we're not going to make as much of a profit on a series of shows in in the UK than we would in a series of shows in the States. But of course, that's short-sighted think, thinking because when you've got hot product, you take it to a new market, um, you run shows, you sell the tickets, you know, you attract advertisers, sponsors. You know, WCW merch during its glory days was quite hard to come by. In the UK, it was far easier to get WWF merchandise. Yeah. Had WCW come over to the UK in 96, 97, 98, <clears throat> it would have opened so many doors for them over here. And they could have really, I think, embedded themselves uh, more uh, more than they did in this market and potentially found someone to screen their pay-per-views each month, you know, our merchandise. Yeah, if they, if they did, if they did one big show and they had the NWO and Sting and all these people, and they brought you know pe- people execs from different channels, I would be amazed if in a fifteen thousand sold out arena, if they do you know some some big angle or something that people don't go right, we're getting this, we want this yeah. pay per view every month. Absolutely, and it would have been you know it never WWF was always number one over here, just always, and um, and WCW just never really cashed in, certainly on the on Brett and see the nwo as well i don't think they i don't think they ever i don't think they ran a show they ran a show in 94 with hogan and flair on top hogan did a tour sort of autumn of that year because i remember i went to see that one as well and i can't remember wcw coming back again for for like years and years i can't remember when they next came over it could have even been 2000 which sounds incredible i think it was you know i think 94 94 and 95, and then the next time was 2000 because they didn't come between 96 and 99, which is crazy. But I don't think I don't think after they hired Brett in 97, I don't think they ran a show in Canada in 98. No, it was the Toronto one in 99, right, where Brett did the the steel plate angle, March 99, I think. It's just <laughs> like you've got this guy. It's just like, well, why? I mean, that's Canada. That's because you know, you've, you've got you've got Hogan and Co who don't want to work all the time, so yeah, push but... Brett. He'll work all the time. Like he'll happily do all the big shows and go and do international tours. I mean, it's just incredible, really. But yeah, I mean, going back to UK, had WCW come over when they were like super hot in like late '96, early '97, there would have been like sponsors and advertisers just like wanting to work with them, wanting to spend money with them, wanting to do deals with them, wanting to sell their products to you know, hungry WCW fans. Fans, if the shows had been good, fans would have been raving about it to the friends. They would have been writing into Power Sam, all the magazines and everything. Would have been a huge boost for WCW magazine. You know, my old business partner, Colin Bowman, would have been thrilled about that because he was running the magazine at the time. But there was just so many missed opportunities by WCW about then. And, um, you know, it's just, you look back and you just think, you know, there were reasons why they didn't do these things, but they weren't good reasons. 
you know, they were just stupid reasons. And it was like, well, you know, that was what WWF did. They expanded. They created new markets. Remember when WWF was red hot in Italy for about, was yeah. it about a year, maybe 18 months? It was it was kind of fleeting there. He did that Raw and SmackDown in Italy. He did. That's it. And Santino Morella. He had that little run there as a star. He but did, I mean, bro. that was, I mean, they made a lot of money out of that. And when the market wasn't buoyant anymore, then they withdrew. But there was a lot of money to be made there, not just in ticket sales, but in merch sales and all the other, you know, revenue streams that pro wrestling um, creates or has. Well, listen, um, we are out of time. And, you know, this discussion has all kind of led to the fact that, you know, we did get Raws and Smackdowns, but now we're getting this Clash at the Castle show, massive show in a stadium, probably close to 70,000 people this weekend. So we will, of course, be discussing it all on what's going down next week. Uh, We'll be at the show. So we hope that you enjoy it if you're watching it at home or if you're at the show uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, we hope to stay tuned to Patreon. We'll be putting an overrun up as well before, before... uh, the show to uh, chat about other stuff going on in the world of wrestling. So, Finn, I look forward to our continuous communication. Indeed, indeed. And, yeah, looking forward to the show this weekend. I'm glad they're back and they're running this big event. And, um, you know, hopefully it won't be 30 years before they, they run another stadium-sized show. Surely it won't be. Indeed. Do, do one before Finn turns 82. That's what we asked for. <laughs> uh, so I want to thank you all for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.